Good morning, Renewal Church. I am so thankful for this worship team every week. Week in, week out, they bring us to the foot of the throne uh, and help us declare that God and God alone is worthy of all praise, all honor, all glory. I am thankful and blessed by their efforts each week. Um, shout out to all my friends here from Wheaton Academy. Thank you for coming today. Uh, just seeing you walk in the door blessed me. Uh, thank you to my family who's here today. I uh, love you all. Um, if you have your Bibles, you can open up to John chapter 20. Pull out your devices, open up to John chapter 20. We're going to be there in a few minutes. Uh, but I want to start today by telling you a story. Oh, I almost forgot. Middle school students, you, you all are free to go. I'm going to tell you a story of uh, when I was about eight or nine years old. I can't remember exactly how old. I went to Great America, Six Flags Great America. I don't think it was the first time I had been there. Uh, but I went with a friend and his family. And I knew going in that my friend was going to ask me what I dreaded to be asked, and that was to jump on a roller coaster with him. I'd never been on one of these giant roller coasters before. Do you remember the old shockwave roller coaster? Like when you pull into the parking lot, that's the first thing you see, that giant drop, that big blue loop. That thing terrified me. And I made up my mind going into it that I was not going to ride anything that I deemed to be too scary. I doubted that I could ever have a good time on one of these rides. And I was right throughout the course of the day. My friend Mike kept asking me, Brad, will you ride one of these rides with me? And I kept saying no. So the day looked like this. He would go on a ride like Iron Wolf and stand in line and wait. And I would go and sit by the exit with his mom and wait for him to come out. <laughs> or I would stand in line with him on a ride like the Viper. And we'd get all the way to the front. And the big scary car would pull up and I would step through the car to the other side while he stepped in and turned around and waved as I took the walk of shame out. I just couldn't bring myself to do it. But he kept asking and he kept kind of wearing away at my resolve until I finally said, yeah, I'll ride. And I said yes to the iconic ride at Six Flags. I said yes to the American Eagle. And as soon as I said yes, my heart started pounding. It was like a jackhammer in my chest. And for the entire 30-minute wait, my pulse was high. And I asked him to cope with this nervous energy. I asked him every single question I could think of about the ride. How high is it? How fast does it go? What does it feel like to take that first drop? Should I put my hands up or leave them in the cart? I kept peppering him with questions still holding on to, deep down inside, this uncertainty, this doubt, this fear that I was actually going to enjoy it. And we get to the front of the line, and the moment of truth arrives. He does a smart thing. He jumps in first, so I can't step through. The seat next to him is open. I sit down. The lap bar goes down. There's no escape. The car starts going forward. And as we're going up, 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 that pulse that I thought couldn't get any faster, I swear, doubled. And we get to the peak, and I'm thinking, oh, God, here we go. We're about to take the plunge and fall over. And for the, for the next minute, minute and a half, I have the time of my life. I scream. I laugh. I feel this elation that I've never felt before from having a risk-taking ride like that. And we get to the end, and I look at Mike. I say, hey, can we do that again? 
and he obliged and we jumped back in line and wrote it again at the time of my life. And looking back on it now, I think all that fear, that uncertainty, that doubt that I had carrying into that experience only served to enhance the experience when I decided to jump on the ride and experience it for myself. I swung so far the other direction and got to enjoy and appreciate the ride that much more. Uh, Today we stand in this service one week post-Easter Sunday. And I don't know about you all, but I thought coming out of last week's service, that was one of the finest services we have ever had here at Renewal Church. I walked out blessed, filled, encouraged. And then for the three weeks leading up to Easter, we took a close look at the meaning and hope that can be found in the resurrection. But Easter Sunday has come and gone. Easter baskets have been found. Easter egg hunts completed. Easter candy consumed. And if you're anything like me, you just jumped right back into routine on Monday. Hopefully, yes, encouraged by the movement of the Spirit on Easter Sunday, but also fully recognizing that that life, that routine, that busyness just creep right back in. Jesus is risen on Easter Sunday, but on Wednesday, when we face the reality of a tight budget, job loss, the reality of exhaustion, it's easy for doubt to grow. Maybe Jesus won't take care of me this time. Maybe this time God won't show up. Maybe, just maybe, this whole Christianity thing is better fit for others, not for me. We, we live in the land between. We live in a time today that pastors like to call the the already not yet reality of life post-resurrected Jesus, pre-return. Jesus is alive. He is risen. Sin is defeated. Death is conquered. Jesus has already won. As we just sang, it is finished. And yet, sin, pain, Suffering still exists. Sin can still enslave us. And Jesus has not yet made his promise return. Aubrey touched on it two weeks ago. Um, If you remember, she brought a plant up here on stage, the plant symbolizing the resurrection and a reminder of the fact that we get to see resurrected life every spring and cling to the hope that Jesus can do resurrection work in our hearts as well. She put that up there and said, Sometime in the future, we don't know when. Jesus didn't even know when when he was on earth and said, it's only time for the Father to know when I will return, that sometime in the future, he will come back and make all things new once again. And oh, how, how I long for that day. I, she, she talked about the resurrection bodies that we would receive that would be perfected. I'm dealing with a bad knee right now. Uh, that might require surgery. I don't know. It's swollen even as I stand here. Talking about that resurrection body sure sounds good. And in the land between where we are right now, 2,000 years post-resurrection, pre-Jesus' return, we don't know when, it's really possible for us to be inspired by hope in the resurrected Jesus one day and then to be weighed down by the weekly, plagued by questions, weighed down by doubt, the very next day, or the very next hour, the very next minute. 
And what we're going to look at here in John 20 is one of the most famous examples of doubt that we see in Scripture that inspired the moniker Doubting Thomas. Although, as I'll point out to you, I kind of feel bad that Thomas carries this name and carries this nickname and label. It's a bit unfair to him when the other disciples were just as guilty. I'm going to read from John chapter 20, starting in verse 19. Uh, Feel free to follow along with me. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord Jesus. When they saw the Lord, Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see his hands, the mark of the nails, and place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. I want to offer today four observations straight from the text here. First, I want you to notice the the locked doors where the disciples were gathering. Twice the passage notes that the doors are locked and both times Jesus appears in their midst. Why are the doors locked? The disciples are afraid of local religious leaders, those same religious leaders who put Jesus to death on a cross. If they could do it to Jesus, those religious leaders could do it to the disciples and probably wanted to, to try to keep this this message of life, of hope, the gospel contained. The first time the doors are locked, when I first started reading in that passage, it's really hard to blame the disciples for being controlled by that fear. They had just seen their Messiah slain. The person that they had been following for three years, devoting their life to, had been killed. And really, they've heard about the resurrection from an eyewitness, Mary. But you can see just in that instant, them struggling to believe that it was actually true. And then Jesus shows up in their midst. And they know that what Mary had said was indeed true. We're told in the text that Thomas is not with them upon that first appearance of Jesus to the disciples. And when they try to convince Thomas, when he returns to their midst, Jesus has already left, Thomas doesn't believe. Instead, and this is key, he places conditions on his belief. He says, unless I see and touch, unless I see and touch the place where the nails were in his hands and where his side was pierced, I will never believe. 
And before we look sideways at Thomas in this moment, I have to ask the question, have you ever been there? Placing conditions on belief. God, if you heal my child, then I will believe. God, if you take away my struggle with this sin, then I'll know that you are real. If, if, if many of us have behaved just like Thomas in this very moment. Fast forward to verse 26. Keep in mind, this is after Jesus has already appeared to the disciples and the doors are locked again. Doubting Thomas gets the bad rap in this passage when it's really the other disciples who should be labeled as doubters. The other disciples had already seen Jesus and yet they doubt, they fear, they question whether or not Jesus is going to keep them safe. He who had just conquered death and the people who put him to death and yet they're still controlled by this doubt. Doubt is normal. It's universal. It's pervasive. You doubt. Your neighbor doubts. I doubt. And if you've ever questioned the existence of God and whether the resurrection is true and whether or not God can be trusted when there's so much pain and evil in this world, you are in good company. You're joining in with the authors of Scripture. There is doubt in the Bible who openly express their doubts. Consider Psalm 23, one of the most famous pieces of poetry in human history where David places unequivocal trust in God, the good shepherd. In Psalm 22, right beforehand, Psalm 22 opens with David asking, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's doubting, he's questioning, he's wrestling in the words of the Psalms. To doubt, to be uncertain about things is to be human. And that leads me to my second observation from the text. To doubt is not sinful. It is not immoral. In the text, Jesus never scolds Thomas for doubting. He scolds his lack of belief and his lack of faith, but not his questioning or his doubt. Don't confuse the two. Doubt is not lack of faith. Which raises the question then, what, what is doubt? Doubt is that, that little strip of real estate that exists between reality and hope. It's the space between reality and hope. You see, your, your reality may say, I, I don't have a job. Hope says, I have an interview in two weeks. I'm going to crush it and I'm going to get the job. Doubt asks, you sure about that? Reality says, I just went to the doctor for my annual physical and got a follow-up call and there's a voicemail saying, I need to call back because there's something that they need to talk about. Hope says, it's gonna be okay. Doubt asks, what if it's cancer? Reality says, my relationship with my dad is terrible. Hope says, it's okay, he'll come around. He's had a rough year at work. Doubt asks, what if he doesn't love you? Reality says, I really need God to come through because I'm in a tough place. Hope says he's going to show up. Doubt asks, what if he's not real? What if he doesn't exist? Have you ever been there before? 
If we're honest with ourselves, all of us have been there. We all deal with these creeping voices of doubt. And yet I want to say today, I think that doubt is essential to faith. Faith is not predicated on certainty. If it was, it wouldn't be called faith. Certainty about anything leaves little room for faith. Faith needs uncertainty or doubt in order for it to even exist. And that's why Jesus never goes after Thomas for his doubt, only for his lack of faith. Doubt is only sinful when it blocks you from faith. See, reality might tell you, you have cancer. Hope says, God's going to heal me. Doubt asks, what if he doesn't? Faith says, I'm going to keep on praying and cleaning and trusting anyway. Reality says, my child is out in the far country making poor decisions with his life. Hope says, God is going to bring him back. Doubt asks, what if he doesn't? Faith says, I'm going to keep on trusting and loving and praying and learning and growing anyway. Reality says, I I can't see you, God. I can't feel you. I need you. Hope says he exists. Doubt asks, what if he doesn't? Faith says, in the words of the author of Hebrews, that without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists. If you're sitting here today with doubts, and those doubts are blocking you from faith, know that God can handle your doubt. In fact, God wants to meet you in the midst of your doubt. And that leads me to the third observation from the text. Jesus doesn't keep Thomas at arm's length. Jesus meets Thomas right in the middle of this deepest moment of doubt. Jesus still pursues, goes after, and grabs Thomas's heart despite Thomas's uncertainty. Not only does Jesus intentionally go after Thomas, before Thomas even speaks a word, Jesus expresses that he knows exactly what Thomas needs. Come and touch me, Thomas. Place your hands, place your fingers in the holes. This should be encouragement to you if you're sitting today with any sort of uncertainty. Jesus knows what you need and can and will meet you in the midst of those needs. In fact, and this is awesome, it should be a comfort to us all that no locked doors can shut out Christ's presence. Christ overcame a physical barrier of locked doors when he appeared to the disciples, and he can, and he does, and he will overcome spiritual barriers of locked hearts. If your heart has been hard, if doubt is blocking you from faith, if you're clinging to what you think are irreconcilable questions, let go. Jesus wants you to believe And you don't need to have all your questions answered in order to fully trust Jesus. Confident faith does not mean that all our questions are answered. I would love to ask God in this moment right now and have this question answered, why this land between even exists? If the work has been done, if sin has been defeated, why does it still plague us? Why can we still be enslaved to it? And even with this question, I fully trust that God has a divine purpose and a divine plan, and he is working out his will in this moment. Reality says there's suffering and pain today. Hope says that Christ will return and make all things new. Doubt asks, what if he never does? Faith says, I'm going to trust that the king of all has a plan and is sovereign and is Lord over my life. Final observation from the text. 
I think this is profound. Thomas does not doubt alone. Thomas doesn't hesitate to tell his closest friends about his lack of belief. I just want you to envision being in this situation. You are surrounded by your closest friends, men you have done life with for three years. They know you inside and out. You know them inside and out. And with passion and conviction in their eyes, they are telling you that they have seen the resurrected Christ. They have talked to him. They've experienced him. And Thomas sitting there, Usually it's so easy to get overwhelmed and caught up by the passion of others that we go right along with it. Thomas sitting there openly and honestly expresses his doubts. I would say I actually appreciate this about Thomas. He's honest. He's a regular guy speaking openly and trusting that those who are hearing him are people that he can speak openly with these doubts about. If you're someone who has questions, don't doubt alone. Speak them aloud. Seek counsel from friends. Come talk to me after the service. Come talk to Kevin after the service. Express those doubts to the prayer team who's going to be right over here during communion. Don't go through these times of questioning alone. You may not get answers to your questions, but you are going to be led to the throne of God. And remember, we all have these doubts and questions. You are not alone. Ask these questions to your community group. If you're not in a community group, jump into a community group. Surround yourself by people who are going to encourage you through seasons of doubt. And if you're someone sitting here today whose doubt is blocking your faith, if you're holding on to doubt so tightly because you might be afraid of what happens when you release them, take a step of faith and turn them over to God. He can handle it. Drop your conditions for belief if you have any. Thomas said he needed to see and to touch. And when Jesus appears here in the text, Thomas just sees Jesus. He doesn't touch, he sees Jesus and proclaims, my Lord and my God. Jesus wants your faith because with your faith comes your heart and with your heart comes your entire being. Let him in. And if you're sitting here today and you aren't struggling with doubt, be encouraged. Jesus speaks directly to us When he says, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. You are blessed because you believe. Take heart and keep faith. We're going to transition here uh, into taking communion. We take communion here every week at Renewal Church. And I'm going to lead us into a time of prayer where I'm going to ask you if you feel comfortable uh, when, we, when we close our eyes, to actually put yourself in a position or a posture of letting go. I'm going to ask you to turn your hands towards the ground. And it doesn't necessarily need to be doubts that you're hanging on to, but what, what I want you to do is to envision that you are at the foot of the throne of God and that you are releasing whatever it is that is burdening your heart this morning. Things that you're anxious about, things that you're fearful of, questions that you have, let them go. Release yourself of them. Drop whatever it is that's giving you anxiety. And after we're done praying, you're going to come up and receive communion and taste and know that Jesus loves you. Let's close our eyes. Let's bow our heads. God, thank you 
for this word. Thank you for knowing, for anticipating, for knowing us so well that right after your resurrection in the text, you give us this story about a person who's wrestling with doubt. You know our hearts so well that you know that we would need this word to be encouraged by even after hearing the hope and the good news of the resurrection. You are good, God. you're comfortable, hold, hold your hands out. Hold your palms out to the ground. Take a deep breath. And take just a few moments here to release whatever it is that you're holding on to. I'd invite you to, to flip your hands up, open palms towards the heavens. Again, take a deep breath and receive whatever it is that God has for you. May you feel his love. May you know his love in your life right now. God, thank you for your love. Thank you for the hope that is found in the resurrection. Thank you that you are not afraid to meet us when we're questioning, when we're doubting, when we're holding on to whatever fear, whatever uncertainty, whatever anxiety that we have, Lord, you break through. Thank you. May your love, may the resurrection of Jesus Christ free us from whatever it is that's holding us back. We love you and we thank you. It's in your name we pray, amen.